0: know, if you ask almost any top member of the government of India today, in private, uh, about UFOs, uh, almost in all places, except maybe a few who have got too much of a Western scientific education, but most of them will tell you, yes, we have known of them for thousands of years. And uh, you can refer to not only the sacred texts, but also texts that are very clearly scientific in intent, in which you have very technical descriptions of how this craft can be built. Uh, and how some are used by the gods and other by the heroes who are close to the gods. So that is very much part of the Indian, uh, the Hindu religion, the Jain religion, the Buddhist religion. Uh, and uh, you can also see a very interesting difference that is made in some of those texts between craft built by humans uh, who are often known, uh, particularly in Buddhist texts, as Buddha, Vahana, Vimana. Uh, or Yantra, Bhuta Vamana, which means the machines that uh, are animated by spirits or by genie, And these are made by men because what they mean by genie is, uh, well, artificial intelligence, you know, creatures that are essentially built to be intelligent. So they are like cyborgs, uh, cyborg crafts. And then you have the actual Vimanas who are Daivikas, who come from the gods. So all these things are there almost anywhere in the world. So in India, there is no great psychological conflict that some of our semi-Christian, semi-technocratic societies have, where they feel absolutely panicky at the idea that there could be something much bigger than us. And this has been the great problem in the US and in other countries, which think that they are the most powerful, uh, that, and they are more powerful than anyone could be. And therefore, what are these people doing coming down and uh, making us feel like babies or like uh, really primitive creatures? So that for them is very hard to to accept and they will do almost anything to deny it and find excuses saying no no it's not that it's us you know we are doing it but you don't know about it because we're very advanced and clearly that's no longer believable in most cases Uh, and in India the problem is quite different Uh, of course there is an elite which is trained in western science and which can be as skeptical as any in the west but by and large the population is in touch with its own culture. And it's very easy to make them accept the fact that these beings are there and they themselves have been either worshipping them or keeping them at bay for thousands
1: of years. You're listening to ExoPolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala, your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. I'm very pleased to introduce Kome here to ExoPolitics today. I've known Kome for nearly 15 years now, who's an advisor to the ExoPolitics Institute. And this is the first time we actually get to see each other. So I'm very pleased uh, to finally meet you in at least virtually, person to person, and looking forward to talking to you about ExoPolitics, Kome.
0: Greetings, Michael. Very nice to see you in a very pleasant environment from the background I see here.
1: (laughs) Yes, well, I know you've been working in various capacities. Uh, You're on the editorial editorial board of the World Affairs Journal that's uh, sponsored by a a prominent Indian organization, the Kapoor Surya Foundation, and that you're a distinguished fellow with the India Foundation, that's a, a leading think tank in New Delhi. And, and you're based in New Delhi, India, but you also spend a lot of time in France, in Italy and Switzerland, talking to people and trying to produce dialogue on some ideas to kind of broaden public awareness of very esoteric topics. So you've, you've had a lot of experience in dealing with uh, some esoteric topics with different organisations and different nations, but you have been for two decades now uh, that I know of, have been pushing the, the boundaries or the envelope and in introducing UFOs and extraterrestrial topics into these uh, mainstream academic discussions through conferences, articles, and think tanks. So very important work that you've been doing. So well, I guess the first question is, you know, how did you develop an interest in UFOs and extraterrestrial life?
0: As a child, born in the Canary Islands, I had parents who were highly interested in uh, philosophical, artistic and scientific topics, and my father, who had been a journalist, mostly freelance in his uh, younger days, had uh, been called uh, in the mid 50s when I wasn't born uh, at a press conference held by the Ministry of Information of France. And uh, at that conference, where a number of uh, journalists and correspondents uh, had been called, uh, some photographs and films uh, had been shown by some representatives of the government. I do not know, of course, who they were, and they explained. These representative explained to the assembled crowd that uh, there was a phenomenon of uh, flying saucers craft. Of course, America was much more aware of it than the French in general were, but there were also a few stories circulating in France and we know that uh, General de Gaulle for one who came to power soon after uh, was quite interested in the subject personally at one time at least. So the communication was that there was a phenomenon which was unexplained which didn't seem to be terrestrial and uh, which uh, on which the Americans apparently knew a lot more and therefore discretion was urged upon the press corps in the sense that uh, they were told that this was a very sensitive subject and that it was certainly important not to arouse public fear and confusion, Uh, it was important to maintain social stability and therefore if the subject had to be dealt with, uh, it was to be done in a relatively light tone and without Essentially, evoking possibilities of invasion or uh, other such things, which were, as we know, uh, there were there were a, was a popular topic at the time in in fiction. You know, to have these stories about extraterrestrials landing and some rather frightening creatures exterminating the human race or enslaving them. So that's the first time that I heard uh, from my father about this topic. And of course, there were a few magazines, uh, some of them uh, child magazines, which uh, sort of broached the subject. And then when we, since a few years later in the 60s, since we were going to Madrid every now and then for my father's work, uh, at that time we became aware firsthand of that very uh, great mystery, which uh, captured the imagination of a lot of people in Spain and particularly in the Madrid area, uh, which was related to what was later called the Uman or Umite phenomenon. In other words, flying saucers and some very strange encounters, and some physical traces and some even physical materials that were dropped and retrieved on the ground, and which uh, made a number of journalists uh, do research. And since then, there has been quite a dynamic community of uh, so called ufologists in Spain. So you see, I had a very early baptism of fire, as you can tell. And from then on my uh, curiosity and fascination never ended to the point that when I got to India for the first time with my father after a very long road trip in 1975, I wrote quite a long book that was never published trying to compile all the records that I could uh, gather about uh, extraterrestrial encounters and uh, alien technologies and uh, related phenomena.
1: Well, that Ummad case is quite a fascinating one. I know that uh, that was very famous, uh, especially later on when there were scientists like uh, Dr. Jean-Pierre Petit, who talked about uh, the technological applications of the Umites, and that the Umites were here to actually help scientists and other working professionals become familiar with some of these advanced concepts and technologies that extraterrestrials use. So did did you kind of like, um, ever meet with uh, JP Petit? Or did you know, do you know more about the kind of technologies that the Ummites were trying to raise public awareness about?
0: I never met Jean-Pierre Petit. I sent him a couple of letters, many years later, in the 90s, because I had read his books, connect on the uh, Umayt experience. And uh, he was not, of course, the first to be aware of it. There were were quite a few people in several European countries, also in South America, who uh, received thousands of letters, which many of which were highly technical, and which tried to explain the so-called physics, chemistry, biology, cosmology, and philosophy of life, you might even say theology, of the Umayts, Umo. which was the name uh, given by themselves to uh, their civilization. Now, for many years, I didn't hear from it again because it remained confined to an international network of researchers. But then it was my good fortune uh, some years ago to connect with a French researcher, and engineer, who has become a friend and who is quite advanced in his own field of uh, expertise. Uh, his name is uh, Roger-Denis de Nocla. And he has written a series of books, which are fascinating but difficult to read because very technical, in which he has tried to gather in an encyclopedic fashion all the information that was supposedly or allegedly handled by the Umites to a number of people. And we don't know how they chose these people, we don't know how they decided that they should get letters explaining what they were about, but somehow they did. And that's one of the greatest mysteries of the UMO, uh, might say, mystery, that they never seem to refer to any other civilizations. They are pretty much self-contained, although they do acknowledge somewhere that there are higher forms of life than even they are. And they are also quite close to human beings physically. And even, I would say, emotionally and intellectually. But they seem to have come here for the first time in the 50s in the southeast of France in a rural area. And they seem to have discovered the planet more or less as we would do if we were to go to Mars, you know, as we have already done on the moon. So uh, one wonders how come they seem to be such relative, you know, newcomers when other civilizations seem to have been around for thousands of years on this planet. But anyway, it's a very interesting case because of the wealth of information they provide. Now, some of this information has been found to be accurate several decades later uh, by some of the scientists who have cross-checked with uh, more recent breakthroughs in uh, certain scientific areas. It's very interesting that they communicate information which became uh, proven thirty or forty years later. Some other things have not been verified yet and probably don't even make sense so far. But that's probably because we haven't advanced uh, as much as we would need to to understand them. However, what's very curious is that uh, umites or humans. Uh, one wonders if they haven't somehow inspired themselves of the human to take that name. What is very surprising is that uh, they, I mean, their goal seems to be to advance of mankind and to turn us away from dangerous inventions and from very self-destructive activities for which we are famous. But at the same time, they, uh, in a way, uh, provide a a sort, perhaps of an alternative path and naturally the way that they expressed themselves either in spanish or in french or in italian or in uh, portuguese brazilian uh, it led many people to think that this was a great fraud you know perpetrated by some mischievous secret organization or maybe some secret services but then again why would such a fraud be carried on for 20 years you know, and uh, with continuous letters coming to very different people from many parts of the world, the goal is certainly not clear unless some people wanted some uh, technological and scientific advances to be made without uh, taking credit for them. So putting people on the way, but then if they are in that uh, role, it could certainly be that they are not from here as they claim. I mean, they could be very advanced scientists somehow belonging to a particular secret society. But then again, the way that they describe themselves and their world, their planet, the Umo planet, is, uh, I mean, you cannot deny that there is a lot of uh, similitude. There is a lot of uh, credibility in that.
1: Well, I know that uh, that case is a fascinating one because of them clearly trying to disseminate some advanced technologies and concepts to scientists and thinkers to kind of like broaden uh, the human imagination and perception of, of the universe around us. So that would be kind of like how you would expect advanced extraterrestrials to operate, you know, rather than directly intervening and shocking a civilization, they would do it behind the scenes, working with scientists, thinkers, futurists and so forth, artists even, to try and kind of like introduce these novel concepts and ideas. Now, you mentioned the Umite case, and, and that was really something you became familiar with in the 1960s um, in France and Spain, which uh, is quite, you know, that's, you know, you've been working in this field for over 50 years now, or at least have an interest in it, which is quite a long time. And, but you also got interested in another case, another famous case, uh, which is uh, called the friendship case or the Amicizia case in Italy. And that was from, uh, I think, 1956 to 1978, that that ran. So how did you get involved with that case? Well, first,
0: I should say that uh, I had uh, seen some reports, uh, first in writing and then online, about a similar case in South America, particularly in, particular in an island in the Magellan Strait, in which supposedly, according to some uh, witnesses, Uh, There was a community of people from another planet uh, who had uh, established a base and who uh, were doing a lot of good to some of the local inhabitants, but in a very discreet manner, and mostly on their island where they had apparently some sort of healing center. And ships that tried to find the island were not uh, allowed to land there unless they actually had some help from the so-called Amistad people, I mean, uh, the people from of the friendship group, and uh, apparently some, uh, you know, some uh, members of uh, the both the Argentinian and the Chilean uh, governments, uh, they tried to uh, find more information about it, but clearly that information was not available and in particular the access was not granted. Now, this was very vague and it sounded uh, definitely, uh, I mean it strained credibility, however. Uh, being in Italy for years, I, was, uh, I lived there in Rome, uh, but I also went to Italy many, many times. And I can't even remember how, but I was given uh, information about uh, a, an experience that had a group experience, you might say, that had taken place in Italy and had involved a lot of people uh, some years earlier, as you said, in the 60s and 70s, but beginning in, the, in 1956. Uh, and that group uh, experience uh, also called itself the Amicizia group, which uh, is essentially the Italian version of friendship or Amistad in Spanish. And that was a very, very strange experience. It had been uh, related in various books, uh, including one or maybe more than one by the leader of the group, uh, somebody called Samacicia. Uh, Samacicia was a, a he was a mystic, you might say, he was a researcher in uh, theology and philosophy, spiritual philosophy, but he didn't seem to have originally any uh, particular attraction to extraterrestrial phenomena. Uh, However, uh, one day he and a friend uh, were uh, visited, you might say, by some invisible presence which wrote. Uh, some things on a piece of paper, there was an invisible hand writing on a piece of paper, asking them to come to a particular place for a meeting. And uh, apparently they did go there once nothing happened, then uh, they were given another appointment. And that was in a very unlikely place. It was in a castle located in the uh, in a province of eastern Italy uh, on the Adriatic Sea. And uh, there is a very old castle there called Roccapia from the 16th century, which used to, it used to belong to the popes. And right around that uh, fort, where I went later, uh, and this was 1956, they were met, I mean, uh, I think there were two or three people who went there. Uh, and they were met by two individuals who came down on the little staircase uh, surrounding uh, the fortress, the walls, the fortified walls. And uh, these two people were as different as could be because they looked human but one was almost nine feet tall and the other was only about three feet tall. And they befriended them. They apparently had a very magnetic inviting and confidence-inspiring approach, they were uh, really sort of luminous personalities, the way they described, uh, the way the witnesses described it. And they told them that they had come from another world, but so essentially, they were uh, like us. We were them, and they were us. This was a term that they liked to, which they would like to define themselves. And they uh, then, they expressed the desire to form a sort of a long term friendship with a selected group of human beings who would help them to uh, bring a message of peace, unity and love to the world. And they used some specific terms uh, from their own language, called one of the terms was Ureda, which means uh, universal friendship and love, you know, in a very cooperative and organic way. And this was the base foundation for a series of contacts that lasted for over 20 years. Uh, That group grew, I mean, talking about the human group, it grew and ended up including some rather prominent people, including one general of the Carabinieri and two cardinals, and a number of people from science, technology, uh, the arts, and some ordinary people, you know, who had businesses. And those people uh, had this fairly regular, not predictable contact They did get to see a lot because they did get to see uh, flying saucers and other vehicles, and these were actually filmed and photographed. So there is some material proof. The beings were generally not photographed. At that time, there were very few, you know, the photography was not uh, as ubiquitous as it is now, Uh, but they did manage to keep two or three photographs, which uh, I have seen. And in one photograph, you see this individual, who uh, is supposed to be one of the main contacts in the other, you might say, other planetary community. And he's about, from uh, the calculations that have been made because the photograph is taken from a distance, he's about uh, nine feet tall. So uh, there seems to be some proof there because there are not many human beings who are nine feet tall. So the very fact that this person uh, was of that height would indicate something there that coincides with what has been said by a number of people now what's even more fascinating but uh, once you are in that field you know nothing more surprises you then you hear that they had a base right under that fortress Rocapia uh, in aquila uh, that's the name of the city and that that base was very large and it went all the way halfway into the under the adriatic sea at a depth of about 20 kilometers, which is about 12 miles, I think. Now, what they did was enter in that base simply by uh, dissolving molecularly the ground that they were penetrating with their craft, or even as individuals, which means that they literally were aspired into the depth of that, uh, you might call it a cave. But then the land closed right. Behind them. So within 30 seconds, you couldn't see any trace of a hole, even though there had been a hole. And sometimes you could see a flying saucer emerge from the hole and shoot up into the sky, or vice versa, uh, dive into the ground, into the solid ground. Now I have been to the spot where supposedly the exits and the entrances of the craft took place most often. It looks quite ordinary. It's at the foot of the battlements of that fortress. And uh, apparently they kept that base. I, of course, don't want to get into all the details because that would take hours, but apparently they did leave that base and actually destroy it or close it in 1978 when they were attacked by a group of cyborg-like creatures also from another plane or another planet that they always refer to as a CTR. Now they themselves, the I'm talking about the, the people of the friendship extraterrestrial group, they refer to themselves as W 56 and 56 is for the year in which they made contact. By the way. Not uh, quite in the same period, broad period, when in which the UMA, UMIT, Um, UMO group connected uh, arrived in in France. So it seems to have been some sort of parallel uh, exercise, you know. Although they never referred to the Umites themselves. But then the Amistad or Amicitia group, they had apparently a number of different um, members who were all coming from different worlds. So it seems to have been a sort of a big federation of uh, races or species, and all of them looking pretty much human. They claim that human the human form is universal, and that uh, wherever you go, you will find uh, human creatures, human-like creatures or humanoid creatures. And then, uh, as I said, these W56, because they call themselves the Wyros, uh, which is probably related to uh, Wyro could be uh, related to the Indo-European fear, uh, uh, which is also in Latin, which means man. Uh, they had these uh, long-standing enemies who were sort of disruptors. We might call them, you know, the evil ones, or the, I mean, there are lots of uh, analogies in science fiction, uh, you know more as much as I do about that. And then these uh, so-called CTRs, and CTR comes from contrarians, a bit like Satan is opponent in uh, Christian theology. Uh, These people are, the CTRs are sort of a mechanical cyborg, uh, biological cyborg species, only interested in power and technology. And they're like the Rakshasas or the uh, Asuras in Indian mythology. And they uh, are supposed to be always creating disruptions and exercise in generally every influence. And they wanted the W56 to leave, so they apparently found a way to attack their base. And then W56 said, "We are leaving now, but we will be in touch with some of you, and we will come back." And uh, they uh, apparently left with some public acknowledgement because they sent messages on the radio to the uh, port authorities of the neighboring city of Pescara, which is the port closest to the submarine base that they had, that the amicizia group, I mean, had. So they send these messages, which have been recorded, which were kept secret, but which have been, uh, essentially, they are still available, saying that, uh, do not worry about the disruption that we will cause by leaving, Uh, Please keep your fishing boats away from that particular area, because we will have to exit, and it might create quite a lot of, uh, you know, the sea might be quite turbulent in that zone for a little period of time, so stay away, otherwise you risk uh, destruction, but we only mean well, and we request you to excuse us for the trouble we are causing. And in fact, there were reports which were published in the local media of craft flying out of the ocean and being seen by fishermen boats. Uh, And that took place in 1978. uh, And it was definitely uh, observed and reported to military authorities, to maritime and military authorities. Now, that's about the end of the uh, sort of real hard, you might say hard phenomenon. But then the connections continued, and I happened to be uh, in touch with some of the, you might say, survivors of that uh, human group. Uh, one of them, who was the leader of the group after Samachicha's death, is uh, an engineer, was an engineer, called Stefano Breccia, whom I visited several times in his home. Uh, and unfortunately, he also passed away from a cancer to the throat. He told us a lot of things, and he made me listen to recordings of, from the... Friends in their own language, which apparently is somewhat Slavic in sound but could not be identified with any human language known. And uh, of course, they had these automatic machines uh, to translate into any language on earth. Apparently, they had this facility which now appears to us very simple because we have automatic translation too, but they had it in the 50s. Uh, So they may not have known our languages. But they have no problem expressing themselves in any language instantly because, the, obviously, the machine translated their thoughts. Now, this is all, um, after, after Stefano Breccia's passing, uh, the, the man who, in a way, keeps the, the memory and uh, is the most uh, eloquent spokesperson for that whole uh, experience is somebody called Damiano di Alessandro. Uh, recently, a film in Italian was made about him. And he mentioned me as having visited him and uh, visited Stefano Breccia and uh, having uh, tried to understand the phenomenon. And uh, so in other words, he has uh, included me in that documentary, which is quite well made and which is very persuasive because it is not sensationalistic. It is seen as a, it is made as a sort of a homage to a very unique experience, which probably had a very positive influence on mankind or at least was intended to provide a path to uh, improvement and even salvation for humankind.
1: Yes, I've known about that case for some time and actually Stefano Brescia came to Hawaii. We sponsored him to come and give a presentation um, in uh, the on the big island of Hawaii and he talked about his experiences and um, you know covered a lot of what you just discussed but a couple of the things that really kind of stood out for me when i heard him and read his book was that he pointed out that uh, that these uh, extraterrestrials the w56s that they met with over 100 people uh from italy germany spain france britain even and and the and that they were holding meetings where people would be brought in, high-level people, like you mentioned, the the uh, the, the general of the Carabinieri, the the, the paramilitary police in Italy, uh, some Roman Catholic uh, uh, officials, that they all kind of saw this. So it kind of... And one of the things that really struck me was that how he described how the, the founder of the group, uh, Bruno Samaciccia, that he was almost on a weekly basis delivering a large amount of fruit and supplies to the base in Pescara, Italy. And so what this says is that NATO, because Italy was a member of NATO, that NATO, you know, which would have, of course, included the United States, would have been monitoring all of this. And they allowed all this to happen. So they were gathering intelligence on what, what this human-looking group called the W56s were doing and, and their outreach efforts. To Italian and other uh, other high level officials from other countries, as, as well as the conflict with this other group, the, the CTRs or the contrarians who were this kind of synthetic AI type life forms that were very hostile and aggressive, and that NATO was monitoring this, this conflict and what was going on. and of course, keeping keeping it all secret. So do, do you want to kind of talk any, about about that at all?
0: Yes, uh, it's fascinating because it always brings us back to what many ufologists have trouble facing, which is that uh, clearly the UFO phenomenon in many of its aspects, if not in all, has been very closely followed by a number of uh, official authorities in many countries. And uh, when we see the reaction of the US government in the last few years, following the publication of the film in the New York Times report uh, in uh, 2017. right, And then everything that has followed, including the hearings in Congress, in the US Congress, not to mention the Brazilian Senate and some other uh, government uh, fora, what you see very clearly is a, an absolute uh, intent from on the part of certain official or uh, clandestine, but official authorities to deny or refuse to answer any questions about the ultimate reality of this phenomenon. Now that can be explained in only, in my view, two ways. The one uh, one way is to say like Jacques Vallée, you know, the government is out of its depth, it's uh, literally at the end of its wits, it has no idea what to do about it, doesn't know how to explain it, feels powerless, so just keeps trying to deny it. But the other explanation is that they do actually, some people in some places know a lot, and they are well aware of what's going on. They are probably in contact with certain extraterrestrial entities, uh, whether for uh, better or worse, and they have either a commitment or a reason not to reveal what is really going on, at least for the last 80 years, if not much earlier. As you know, uh, you can go back as far in history as you want, and even in mythology in many countries, including India, China, Egypt, and so on. But if you stay within the last century, then you, will, you, you realize that uh, there were uh, these reports about uh, either crashes or sightings. And then you have that letter from Churchill to Roosevelt during World War II, saying, you know, there have been these uh, massive craft, I mean, disc-shaped craft seen off the coast of England. And uh, we really think it should be kept secret because uh, it could create great, uh, you know, confusion and disarray among our forces and our populations. And therefore, you do not want that to be known. Uh, And uh, that connects probably to the so-called crowd fireballs or uh, Foo Fighters, which were suspected of being uh, German uh, monitoring devices, but which seem to be the typical uh, metal balls, you know, that are seen flying uh, and sometimes have landed and have been kept by a number of people. Now, all this is to say that there is a secret reality, which is not secret for everyone. And there is a certain control group in this world on this planet, which is in charge of managing this more or less or at least making sure it doesn't get out to too many people and to my mind, this is the reason why the. amicizia case was monitored but apparently not interfered with from human authorities probably they couldn't interfere very much but they could at least have disrupted it you know they could have arrested people in the group they could have done a number of things Uh, they could even have killed some of them they didn't so uh, the reason probably was that there was some sort of an understanding at a certain level and if you uh, much closer to us if you look at the recent reports that have come from the u.s navy about uh, the kind of craft that were observed off the coast of california And you realize that these craft were actually, uh, whether the tic tacs or whatever name they were given, they were not only sort of playing games with the pilots and with the ships, they were apparently sending the so-called drones, uh, which are not human drones. And they were also communicating. I mean, even though the, you know, the the system of communication is uh, naturally uh, let's say, it's not open to all it is a um, secret system even then they were able to reply so clearly they are inside all our uh, uh, devices uh, and they are able to answer because uh, from the reports of certain uh, you know that better than i do uh, of certain uh, airmen and uh, seamen they res- when they were asked uh, friend or foe you know they replied friend Uh, But so without going any further so clearly they were opening the door for communication and we don't know if the communication took place because if it did obviously it was censored but the fact is that they are very much into all our uh, technology right in the heart of it and at the same time they are uh, leaving us with the option of saying that uh, we don't know who they are at least uh, at a certain level clearly some people know. And I remember that uh, when, of course, this whole phenomenon started, as you know, and then in 54, there was a reported meeting between Eisenhower and a group of extraterrestrials. And what is interesting is that uh, I had a direct, first-hand testimony from a Russian friend whose father was very highly placed in the strategic leadership of the Soviet Union. And right at the time of Stalin, before Stalin died, uh, the Soviet Union conducted a very secret investigation into what was happening in the US in connection with the extraterrestrial phenomenon, because they also had been uh, exposed to it. And according to my friend, his father was in charge of that. And his father reported that yes, the Americans had made a deal with a particular species. And that was a very major strategic peril. But uh, there was, from what I understand, and there the Soviets are unwilling to talk. They apparently had their own contact and they may have made a deal or at least have had an understanding with another group or another species, which probably told them that they were not on the side of the species that had made a deal with the Americans. Now, that would explain perhaps a continuation of the Cold War because uh, the two superpowers were not on the same side.
1: It's a fascinating history. Uh, I know uh, the Soviet Union created a, a place, a research center uh, in the uh, along the Volga river called Kapustannia, uh, where they did where they brought a lot of their German scientists, and that's where the Soviet space program was was established, but they were also studying UFOs uh, and some of the retrieved craft. And uh, yes, I, I have gotten it's interesting. Uh, I've found in my research that there have been several times when, extraterrestrials have made contact and said, well, because we've made contact with uh, US authorities, we are obliged to also make contact with uh, the Soviet authorities, because the world was kind of divided into this kind of east-west uh, dichotomy that the, that ex- extraterrestrials would do this to just kind of maintain the balance of power, that this was an important part. So yeah, that makes sense that the Soviets had uh, reached agreements with another group of extraterrestrials that were opposed to the ones that uh, had made agreements with the US.
0: Especially if you uh, add uh, credence to the version that uh, Eisenhower was then contacted by another group of extraterrestrials who told him to beware of those he had uh, agreed to make a deal with because they uh, could be dangerous to the long-term future of uh, the human race. Uh, I believe Eisenhower anyway was very quickly out of the loop, as you know. Uh, This was taken over by the military industrial complex and probably some private corporations. And the president didn't really know what was going on afterwards. Uh, It was too important to be entrusted to him, and that's why we know that he tried to uh, find out, and he threatened uh, military action uh, on uh, the relatively new base uh, created by the CIA on the Nevada testing range, because he realized that things had escaped his oversight. And on the other hand, you have these fascinating communications between not only Eisenhower and supposedly Adamski, but uh, in particular, and that is proven with uh, um, Siragusa, Eugenio Siragusa, who was a Sicilian uh, contactee who uh, wrote to Eisenhower explaining that uh, those beings from outer space wanted peace and wanted to avoid nuclear war, which would mean extermination. And we, we have the letter, the reply from Eisenhower saying that he quite agreed that uh, nuclear war had to be avoided at all costs. Now, it's very interesting that as president of the United States, he would take the trouble to respond to some known uh, Sicilian uh, who probably would be regarded by most people as crazy or as a, uh, almost a fraudster. But that shows the, the spirit, uh, at least in some people of the ta- at the time. And knowing that Eisenhower saw UFOs on his admiral ship, uh, this was reported abundantly. And uh, you know that UFO flew very low and he was watching it from the deck. So clearly he was a first-hand witness And he knew a lot more. And this knowledge, you have written on that very well, this knowledge was passed on to his successor, President John F. Kennedy. And we know what happened then to the military industrial complex, the CIA with the National Security Act, and the elimination of a number of dissenters, such as probably John Forrester, the the first Secretary of Defense.
1: So you gathered quite a bit of information. So by the uh, 1980s, you were already very familiar with some of these leading contact cases. And I know you wrote about you traveling to Colorado in the US, where you met a number of uh, military officials, including a Air Force general, and that uh, he confided in you some information about your foes and extraterrestrial life from the perspective of the of the U.S. And this was also around the same time. I mean, U.S. Air Force Space Command was created in 1982. So this would have been around the time that the Air Force had just set up Space Command. So you travel there to Colorado, uh, where Air Force Space Command was headquartered at the time. and, And you spoke to an Air Force General and he shared with you some of the information about UFOs and ET life kind of off the record, you, you included that in one of your books, A Shining City on, on a Hill. So do you want to talk a little bit about what that Air Force officer talk, uh, told you?
0: Yes, he uh, had been uh, exposed to some of the information uh, circulating about uh, UFOs in places, And he took a personal interest, uh, especially after retirement, but even before retirement, it's just that after retirement, he was able to be much more open about it. And like many uh, of the other high level military officers, uh, he obviously knew only uh, a certain amount of things and he didn't know more than that or was not allowed to peer into further uh, information. Uh, so he could only talk about what he had been able to gather and what he was allowed to say. But clearly he was aware of uh, extraterrestrial autopsies which he held or knew to be uh, real. And he was aware of uh, certain major uh, very concerning cases, such as uh, the, the particular the case of mass sightings uh, in Brazil, which had led the Brazilian uh, government to, I would say, call for help, saying that you know, it sounds like we could be invaded. And we don't know what to do, because the Amazon is a very large area over which we have limited control. And what happens if this force takes over? And apparently in some cases uh, had some rather destructive activities. At least some people fell victims to it. And there was a general uh, sense of fear in the population. So he was aware of that. And he was in direct contact with the military officers in the Brazilian Air Force uh, who uh, were in charge of uh, that situation. And as we know, the Brazilians have been very open uh, about it. Right from the days of President Kubishek, I think, who saw a UFO uh, over a ship of the Brazilian Navy uh, and he uh, it became uh, headline news in the papers and uh, the Brazilians uh, have kept that very open attitude and alive interest uh, over there, you can talk about extraterrestrials in any Circle and people will be either interested or not interested, but they will not laugh at you or uh, look at you suspiciously uh, because it's so much part of day to day reality. You know, in a way, uh, it's also because of the indigenous heritage of Brazil. Uh, tribes uh, of Brazil are, uh, have always, uh, in their belief system, have always encompassed uh, the belief, if you might call it that way, in other beings. Uh, who are not human, but who are far superior and who come from either underground or come from the sky. And some of those tribes have been visited sometimes in very, uh, not only concerning, but in very dramatic circumstances. As you know, there are uh, cases that have been reported, investigated by the Brazilian police. And uh, in some cases, people lost their lives. Some women lost their uh, children who were, they had, stillbirth Uh, so all that because of some very disruptive close encounter with some craft that came down and uh, shone some absolutely blinding lights uh, that uh, made people sometimes just lose their minds so the UFO phenomenon in certain cases can appear like a sort of an all-encompassing intrusion into our reality which takes control of our minds, as well as of our physical organs and modifies all the living environment. It uh, juggles time and space. It breaks us out of our uh, customary uh, system. And it makes us, if we are not strong enough, and if we come too close, and we don't know why some of these phenomena are generally, mild or benefic or enlightening and others are very uh, frightening and uh, even destructive which would indicate that there are indeed different kinds of beings and that some of them are perhaps what we call the CTRs in certain circles which is they are actually uh, destructive uh, and they are ruthless I mean they are interested in power and they probably use whatever they find including human beings for their own ends on the other hand you have this very uh, enlightened Uh, soft and um, loving presence, which cannot be denied, and which many people tend to scoff at, because, you know, those people who are only exposed to the frightening aspect of the phenomenon, they think that those who are talking about uh, beneficent uh, aliens are actually uh, daydreaming, or they have been fooled by people who try to appear for what they are not, you know, that's always what Jacques Vallée and many others have said that, you know, this phenomenon is hiding under many different guises, but you don't know what it is, and it may not be good at all behind the appearances. Now, it's very hard to deny what they are saying, because we don't have a proof of the ultimate reality, but I think the testimonies of people who have been very uh, powerfully and um, positively influenced by certain extraterrestrial or so-called extraterrestrial visitations would tell us that the phenomenon is linked with our religions from time immemorial and therefore has a very positive aspect at least in a given set of circumstances
1: i know you tried to kind of uh, walk a fine line here between kind of respected, acceptable academic research and kind of working with different foundations. You are on the editorial board of the World Affairs Journal, but you also have this very strong interest in UFOs and extraterrestrial life. And I know in the World Affairs Journal, you've written and you've also published articles. And I know one of my articles got into the World Affairs Journal uh, on exopolitics and extraterrestrial life. So How, what was it like for you trying to kind of walk that line between, you know, what is acceptable, respectable, kind of research and activities of an accepted scholar, I mean, you're a distinguished fellow of the India Foundation, with kind of like introducing these concepts, which, you know, many people regard as kind of tinfoil hat conspiracy theory.
0: Michael, I always admire your courage because you, you step uh, on some uh, very uh, you know, hazardous ground sometimes uh, when you interview people who uh, would probably not be taken seriously by 95% of uh, human beings, especially the so-called cultured and uh, scientifically educated ones. Uh, I have tried not to go there, uh, simply because uh, it makes the job more difficult because the moment people feel that there is something loony then they tend to discard everything. You know, I remember a friend in Scotland telling me I was very interested in crop circles, but then I saw that some people were making crop circles and I thought it was all a scam. And I had the greatest trouble telling her that she should look further into it because it definitely was not a scam. At least most of the crop circles are not made by scamsters. Now it's the same with extraterrestrials. If you stay with so-called scientific and government acknowledged information, people can hardly uh, sort of turn their backs on. Them. you. know, They may not like it, but they have to listen. And nowadays, in the last four years, five years, when so much information has come out and you have had the congressional hearings, which have shown very clearly that the Army, the Navy, and the CIA, and other agencies are just refusing to answer seriously. They claim they will answer at some point, and there is something going on, but they will not give the real facts. So, when you, people see that, they cannot tell you, you know, you are a fool or you are mad. And you no, know, they have to say, well, there is something going on, and clearly, this something, maybe what you are saying, uh, you have been saying it for thirty years, and uh, we didn't even want to pay too much attention because it was disturbing. Now we are beginning to feel, especially with what's happening in the world, that uh, we may be affected by forces that we haven't even tried to comprehend until now. So. You have to, as you said, you have to walk a very uh, razor you know, on the edge of the razor. uh, Because if you uh, fall on one side or on another, uh, you either become one of those ufologists who keep investigating case after case after case and keep saying we need to find proof and something is there but we don't know what it is. They have been saying that for since the 1950s, you know, so it is becoming a bit of a joke that all they do is get another case and try to investigate it. And then somebody comes up and says, no, no, it's a, it's a fraud or it's a, a misperception. And, and everything goes back to square one. You know? And therefore, we have to get past that. Uh, as you probably know, because I think I communicated that to you uh, some years ago, I, was, uh, I tried to get the Indian government under the previous prime minister, uh, Dr. Manmohan Singh. To uh, take a position on UFOs because of a number of phenomena that had affected the Indian Air Force, particularly over the Himalayas in the Kashmir region, where they had had real dogfights with crafts that seemed to come from over the uh, range, the Karakoram range, and further. And they thought they might have come from China or Pakistan, but then uh, these craft had nothing to do with uh, Chinese or Pakistani drones or aircraft. Uh, they were, uh, they had the typical characteristics of UFOs, and some of them were very clearly uh, flying saucers. And in one case, the Indo-Tibetan border police, which patrols very remote areas of Ladakh, they saw an actual robot-like creature walking, and they tried to chase it, and of course the creature disappeared. But uh, there were multiple testimonies, and the border security force is very professional. They don't You know they are not generally fooled by hallucinations so they knew this was something that was quite unusual it could have been a Chinese advanced robot but uh, so far into Indian territory uh, and uh, given the characteristics of that being it seemed very unlikely so all these things uh, made me uh, approach a friend uh, Dr Pratasarati, who is no more but who had a very high position he was science advisor to Prime Minister Indira Gandhi And I did tell him, and he was quite willing to succumb this project, so we wrote a small report together, and we asked uh, Professor MGK Menon, who was one of the most eminent scientists in India, to uh, take the honorary lead of this initiative. MGK Menon had been a member of many scientific societies and academies, including the Vatican the Pontifical Academy of Sciences. And uh, he, he was an extremely credible scientist with many inventions to his credit. So we uh, got this to the Prime Minister's office and tried to get a response. And clearly what happened is that the Prime Minister referred this to some scientist, a very, you know, orthodox uh, scientist probably trained in Britain or in America. And the response was predictable. They said, "Well, you know, this is a very strange topic. We don't know what it is. Uh, the Americans say there is nothing to it. Nobody seems to pay attention. Why should India uh, become a laughing stock by getting into this? Uh, it's not a priority subject, and it would just complicate our relations with certain countries, including the U.S." So. Drop it. I remember even one scientist referring to the fact that this might have been Planet Venus, you know, that (laughs) some of those craft might have been mistaken by experienced pilots for Planet Venus. Anyway, that shows you the desperation of scientists who are trying to account for what they cannot explain. But this tells you that uh, so far uh, there has been passive resistance to acknowledging the phenomenon. And surprisingly, in most countries like India, what is happening in America at the level of Congress and the Pentagon and the CIA and uh, other agencies. uh, It's not really getting any reporting here. It's probably seen as part of the rather crazy American politics of today. Uh, So there is not much of a reaction, uh, even though I have uh, reported this news to a number of friends in high places. But of course the reaction is, well, there is obviously something going on, but you know, who wants to go there? I mean, that's uh, that's uh, pretty much the attitude that you get.
1: Well, that's that's really fascinating because I remember f- from around 2009, 2010, reading these reports from India Daily, talking about these uh, dogfights in the Ladakh region of India and uh, between India and and Tibet and China, and that uh, there were UFO bases there and all of these craft that were being sighted and high level. Meetings between Indian and Chinese officials over the over the UFOs, the extraterrestrials. That, but at an official level, the Indian government was was playing it all down, dismissing it. So officially, they would say nothing was was real. But uh, unofficially, through these leaked reports in India Daily, there was like very high level interest in what's going on. And and even now, that it seems that the Indian government really hasn't changed because I, I got reports that um, the current prime minister, uh, Narendra Modi, is, personally believes that uh, a lot of these UFO sightings can be traced to ancient Vedic spacecraft that, that are described in various Indian sources, but that the scientists don't take him seriously for the reasons that you've just explained.
0: Yes. You know, if you ask almost any top member of the government of India today in private uh, about UFOs, uh, almost in all places except maybe a few who have got too much of a western scientific education but most of them will tell you yes we have known of them for thousands of years and uh, you can refer to not only the sacred texts but also texts that are very clearly scientific in intent uh, like the Prasthana Trahi and the Vamanika Shastras and so many others in which you have very technical descriptions of how these craft can be built Uh, and how some are used by the gods and other by the heroes who are close to the gods. Uh, Sometimes who can be seen as demigods or as uh, avatars, you know, the the sense of the gods. So that is very much part of the Indian, uh, the Hindu religion, the Jain religion, the Buddhist religion. Uh, And uh, you can also see a very interesting difference that is made in some of those texts between craft built by humans Uh, who are often known, uh, particularly in Buddhist texts, as Buddha Vahana, uh, Buddha Vahana Vimana, uh, or Yantra, Buddha Vimana, which means the machines that uh, are animated by spirits or by genie. And these are made by men, because what they mean by genie is, uh, well, artificial intelligence, you know, creatures that are essentially built to be intelligent. So they are like cyborgs, uh, cyborg crafts. And then you have the actual Vimanas, who are Daivikas, who come from the gods, or from the Asuras, who are equally powerful, but who are, uh, as I said, Asuras can be assimilated to the CTRs, and the gods are the Wiros, because Asuras only want power and wealth, and are willing to kill people or make them slaves, uh, whereas the gods uh, essentially try to uplift humanity. Uh, with their blessings. So uh, you see that opposition between human technology and divine technology. By the way, Islam has it too, uh, in the sense that they regard miracles as being of two kinds. There are the miracles performed by the people sent by God, including the Holy Prophet, and these are called Buddhism. And then there are the the miracles performed by uh, magicians or sorcerers, and these come from the lower depth. You know, they are called Karamat, and they are uh, works that are uh, not generally acceptable or recommendable because they use lower energies. So they are a a sort of uh, cheating or uh, counterfeit uh, miracles. Uh, You see that opposition between Moses and the Pharaoh's uh, priests in the Bible, you know, where Moses shows that his magic is more powerful than theirs because his magic comes from Yahweh. You know, from uh, the god of the on the mountain. So all these things are there almost anywhere in the world. So in India, there is no great psychological conflict that some of our semi-Christian, semi-technocratic societies have, where they feel absolutely panicky at the idea that there could be something much bigger than us. And this has been the great problem in the U.S. and in other countries, which think that they are the most powerful. Uh, that, and they are more powerful than anyone could be. And therefore, what are these people doing coming down and uh, making us feel like tibbies or like uh, really primitive creatures? So that for them is very hard to, to accept and they will do almost anything to deny it and find excuses saying, no, no, it's not that, it's us. You know, we are doing it, but you don't know about it because we're very advanced. And clearly that's no longer believable in most cases. Uh, And in India, the problem is quite different. Uh, Of course, there is an elite which is trained in Western science and which can be as skeptical as any in the West. But by and large, the population is in touch with its own culture. And it's very easy to make them accept the fact that these beings are there and they themselves have been either worshipping them or keeping them at bay for thousands of years.
1: Well, there has been a a seismic shift in the US and you kind of mentioned a little bit about that already with the US Congress holding hearings for the first time since uh, I think 1968. They've held hearings on the UFO phenomenon. And Congress has created an office to investigate the UFO phenomenon in terms of it being a national security threat. And that this is now this new office has now been set up and it's been run by the Pentagon and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. So at the very highest level now. You know, the UFO or the UAP, as they call it, a phenomenon is taken very seriously as a national security threat. So has there been any other country that has also kind of experienced this seismic shift? All of a sudden UFOs have transitioned from being, you know, a subject of ridicule to now being a very serious national security issue.
0: I have mentioned Brazil and I could uh, cite some other countries in South America and also in middle America, I mean uh, Mexico, where the UFO phenomenon is taken more and more seriously and where governments have been investigating. Uh, The problem is that government investigations are generally of the kind uh, that we described earlier, which means that they are essentially trying to segregate the subject from the common man, and they are telling everybody, be very careful. This is dangerous. It is a threat to national security. And you should not be uh, involved in it unless you have some sort of official brief and clearance to do it. You know, Because uh, the very fact that uh, demonstrably aliens uh, have, uh, can break all our codes and get into all encrypted communications, that has been proven again and again, and by the way, uh, Samachi, I'm sorry, not Samachi, but Precha, who came to Hawaii, he uh, showed me his computer because he was quite a sophisticated engineer, and he said, you know, I sometimes lay out some uh, very complex equations, and then I find that uh, I am overridden from inside the system, and somebody writes a different equation, which seems to bring the science to a higher level. So, in other words, they could they could penetrate his computer. And they could override his uh, system, you know, which was uh, in itself. I, ga- I don't think. I mean, nowadays, of course, you have uh, certain agencies that can break into any computer and can change the communication or steal it. Uh, that we know that, right? That's being done in many countries. But still, uh, the fact that there is a particular entity which can do that and which was not a government, because why would have any any government wanted to improve the mathematical knowledge of Mr. Breccia, you know, it would have been, uh, it's very hard to believe. So, uh, again, the only alternative explanation which is attempted by some is that this is all a big sort of a joke, you know, it's like a, a sort of a play uh but tricksters you know are there but who, who, what is a trickster who would do that i mean hackers do a lot of things but they do it for a purpose generally you know they are looking for money they are doing for one thing or another by the way you mentioned uh, and i didn't uh, get back to you on that that uh, the Amicizia group human group was uh, delivering large amounts of food uh, food fruits and vegetables uh, in a truck to uh, the w56 and that in itself has made a lot of people skeptical, saying, why are these people needed, uh, needing human beings to bring them food? Apparently, they paid for it. They actually left money to pay for the amount of uh, goods. But then, you know, the explanation that was given, believe it or not, is that they wanted to reinforce the sense of solidarity and commitment of the people on Earth who were working with them by doing this, you know, in a way, it was a way to prove their existence, because they also age, uh, even though they live the part of the time 20 kilometers under the ground, uh, etc, etc. So there was that sense of uh, approaching, you know, it was almost like communion in the mass where God becomes flesh and blood, and you are able to drink his blood and eat his flesh. I mean, it's sort of symbolic, connection with humans. And uh, so that that can be I don't know if it's an explanation. I mean, clearly the logics of some of those creatures,
1: uh,
0: intelligent organizations is not necessarily ours, right? They are much deeper in their insights, and they can reason at levels that are probably not accessible to us in most cases. So that's all I can say for that. But back to what you were saying. Uh, The fact is that the US government is now forced to acknowledge things, but like some of your uh, congressmen have said, uh, and senators, they are still not willing to uh, tell the truth. They are just, in fact, I believe the Navy recently said that this could not be revealed because it would be a major threat to national security. And if you remember that uh, report that came uh, shortly after the alleged visit of Eisenhower with extraterrestrials when a small delegation was sent to uh, Edwards Air Force Base, uh, Muroc at that time, to see the craft that were apparently left there. Uh, According to that report, this information would be revealed very soon to the public. right? And if somebody who wrote this, this famous California esotericist, uh, who wrote this uh, without any personal gain, uh, if he sent that, it's because it was believed that there would be a public announcement and of course a public announcement was never made why because there was too much at stake and clearly the same powers that have kept the secret since then said no way this has to stay closed it's our strategic uh advantage as it were and we are not going to let anybody get to it either in the us or of course in any other country particularly in
1: well, I know that France has, for a long time, kind of like been at the leading edge of acknowledging the reality of the UFO phenomenon. I, I remember the, the Cometa report that was put out by a number of distinguished French aerospace scientists and former military officials and a, aviation officials. And that was a groundbreaking report. I think it was it came out around 1999, 2000, something like that. And it, it acknowledged that, the uh, UFO phenomenon was probably an extraterrestrial-related phenomenon, so that was very groundbreaking at the time. But more recently, given that there's been this seismic shift in the US, where now Congress is holding hearings and there's a there's been a a office set up in the Pentagon and the office of the Director of National Intelligence to study UFOs, has has France kind of also made any kind of uh, Movements to making the UFO phenomenon uh, an, an official area of interest? Not really. And that may be
0: also due to the personality of the current president, who doesn't seem to me, uh, from what I know of him, to be a person willing to open this gate for any reason, uh, perhaps because the country is facing major problems. Uh, and uh, he's focusing on that, and perhaps because he's also part of the group that decided that this agenda should not be made public. Uh, whatever be the reason, I haven't noticed anything new, even though there have been some interesting uh, reports coming out in certain media. For example, one of the popular radio shows in France interviewed some time ago, Professor Jean-Pierre Petit, whom you mentioned and who saw his career practically, uh, I wouldn't say uh, Lost, but who suffered a great deal in his career because of his interest in UFOs and particularly the UMO phenomenon. And Jean Pierre Petit was explaining how he was the initiator of the technology of, uh, you know, hyper, I mean, uh, essentially the ability to break uh, through the sound barrier. And uh, he had developed it, and then it was taken up by the Russians. The French didn't invest in it, so didn't really do anything about it. Uh, That project was aborted, but um, it was taken up by the Russians who used it to develop that generation of uh, hypersonic missiles. And so the technology of uh, hypersonic velocity, hypersonic um, 20 times the speed of sound, uh, is something which the Russians have uh, now leadership in. The Chinese and the Americans are uh, trying to catch up, but uh, the Russians seem to have at least five years of advance on this. So this, according to Jean-Pierre Petit, came from him when he was invited to Russia to explain his theory. And of course, his own theory of uh, hyper uh, sonic speed was developed in contact when he uh, got to study the Umo. Uh, documents. So you can see the connection with a certain form of extraterrestrial or alien intervention. Uh, but this again at the level of the government, there has been complete silence, and I can see the French government uh, made up of mostly of people who are so called, uh, you know, skeptical hyper who really don't go beyond the day to day economic and the political realities and have no interest or understanding. Uh, or even ability to connect with these higher uh, factors because they simply can't accept it in their own mindsets. you know they are, they are very much formatted in the French uh, early 20th century uh, frame of mind, you know, which is that uh, everything that's scientific should be in our control and if we don't understand it, we can't really say anything about it. Even though, for example, the national electricity grid of France, has thousands of pages of reports in its archives about disruption in its uh, power plants by UFOs, you know, who have been seen uh, essentially interfering with the power generation and transmission and sometimes probably loading up power from some of these plants, or very closely monitoring nuclear power plants, which as you know are mostly in the process of being, uh, essentially now many of the power plants are being closed, even though France is beginning to suffer an acute power shortage. There seems to be some reason why they are going after these nuclear power plants uh, as if they had been getting some sort of instruction from somewhere to just close this down, you know, don't do that.
1: I know you have been really promoting this kind of dialogue between different civilizations on Earth. I mean, you've been in your work uh, trying to kind of encourage peoples to kind of like create dialogue or have some kind of discourse to to promote harmony, global harmony. So how important is it to kind of like expand that to include the extraterrestrial phenomenon?
0: I think it's fundamental because uh, most of the advanced scientists who have really looked carefully at this uh, phenomenon have concluded that you cannot explain reality, whether human or cosmic, unless you factor in Uh, other intelligences and the role they play whether you're talking about interdimensional intelligence or specific very advanced uh, so-called alien uh, species or civilizations. So it is fundamental, but of course one probably has to take it one step at a time because there is always the great divide between what you might call ordinary people who listen to very simple stories and who relate to them. Like somebody saying I saw this great being of light coming down and teaching me. Uh, about the future of mankind and telling me that I should be good and should help my fellow men. This is a typical religious revelation and a lot of people really connect with that, right? But then, of course, when it comes to the official or scientific level, they say, well, these are old wives tales. You know, what the hell is there? I mean, somebody has a vision. It always happened and it doesn't really mean anything, you know, except maybe psychologically somebody benefits from it or goes crazy because of it. But then on the other side, you have the hard scientific evidence, which is very esoteric and which most people can't even understand, and which is only the preserve of certain chosen scientists like Gary Noland or uh, Salvatore Pice, And now there are quite a few dozens of them, uh, beginning with Russell Targ and his colleagues and all that. So that is there. But then, you know, once you talk about very scientific analysis of craft, which clearly show these amazing capabilities, you know, they are able to generate this kind of shield at very low temperatures, minus 60, uh, in order to contain the heat they generate, which can reach two to 3,000 degrees. And of course, if they didn't have that shield insulating that heat, they would melt uh, metal uh, even kilometers away. And clearly, they don't want to do that. Even though in some cases, they apparently have let the shield go so that there was intense burning sensation felt by pilots at a distance. And that's when all the, the control mechanisms failed and the planes either crashed or had to fly back. But this is rare. Generally, these UFOs are able to keep these amazing energies under control. And when we hear Elon Musk, you know, launching his satellites, and we realize that in order to achieve that kind of uh, power that UFOs show routinely, like, for example, the tic-tac of the coast of California, he would have to have something like, uh, I think it's somebody calculated that it's like hundreds of, uh, you know, Engines uh, uh, to to do that, which are of course completely outdated. I mean, we keep sending these rockets with very powerful fuel engines, and we realize how much energy we waste and how little output we get comparatively. So all these things are of course unbelievable uh, to the well to the scientist because he doesn't understand how this physics can be actually uh, learned. And then the average person not only does not really understand it, but he doesn't even want to understand it. He is much happier with a story of uh, a miraculous vision you know because that sticks to him. So there is that division you know between the two uh, you might say the two classes of mankind you know the technological elite and the average educated or educated person. and that's why you see that there is very little communication between them and the challenge will be to unify the two phenomena I mean not the two phenomena to unify, The two kinds of perception to show that between spirituality and science at a certain degree, uh, there is no uh, division, there is no contradiction. And I think that is what our challenge is, and it will probably take some more years, because we are facing massive opposition from uh, governments and you know I sometimes ask myself the question. Do some of the extraterrestrials actually want the governments to keep this secret, because it gives them an advantage. You are free to follow those who tell you. I don't disagree. I'm just waiting for more evidence. Those who tell you that we are being kept under control by the so-called Draco forces that may be the CTRs, and that want us to be uh, under their control. And they essentially push the governments to keep us under control and probably enforce ever more controlled, because we see that our societies are becoming more and more tyrannical, I mean, we are becoming more and more uh, slaves of the system. And on the other hand, you have the positive forces that are trying to enlighten us, and to break make us break out of that uh, jail uh, that has been created for us. So that's a possible explanation. It's very theological in a way. It can also be very technological in the, you know, Star Wars, Uh, context. So uh, we probably will find out more, but I don't know if we'll ever find out everything. That's something which uh, remains to be seen.
1: Well, I know there was uh, this Israeli professor Hain Eshed, who made, uh, created quite a a media sensation when he said that uh, Donald Trump was going to disclose the existence of the Galactic Federation. Uh, but he was told not to because humanity isn't ready yet and that we needed to have more tech, more advanced technologies released so that humanity can be ready for the truth about extraterrestrial life. So it does seem to be that there are those extraterrestrials that want to help humanity get more advanced technology so that we are ready for future disclosure and and this other group you know whether we, we call them the draco reptilians whether we call them the contrarians or the orion or the orion syndicate that they want to keep us kind of like away from these advanced technologies because they know that that way we we remain ignorant and easily manipulated
0: yes uh i believe there are contrary forces in every aspect of life so it shouldn't be any different in uh, outer space or at the higher planes of existence at higher locals, as the Hindus call them, the Buddhists call them, of course, that disturbs many people because they want to believe that once you get past the sublunar world, as it was called in the Middle Ages, then you are dealing with the world of uh, you know sort of divine energy, but then again, uh, the divine energy also has its uh, counterpart, right so all uh, religions have known that, whether the counterpart is called the devil or uh, Asuras or uh, any other name given to them, the fallen angels. So uh, you can certainly admit, in principle, that this could be true. And uh, the interesting part is why uh, did so many UFOs supposedly crash? Now, what sort of UFOs are they? Are they the so-called good ones or the bad ones? We're always falling back on this rather primitive dichotomy. I have a feeling from the work of some people that you also know about regarding these famous uh, steel balls or metal balls, steels, that uh, according to some, I think his name is Patrick Jackson, he is convinced from the many observations he made that these balls are used by what you might call the Federation of Light to track and destroy those intruding craft that belong to the other side. And he has actually photographed or filmed some of those apparent destructions of certain craft by these balls once they get a triangulation on them. Now, those therefore who f- which fall on the ground, because you can't expect why such an advanced technology would crash so often. I mean, it's it may not be that often, uh, you know, in the, in the history of mankind, but still you you hear of a number of crashes and. It has been suggested that some of these crashes are actually gifts uh, made to mankind so that they might learn about new technologies. Uh, but then again, it seems that the according to the theology of the w 56 or even of the might, they would never give a technology that could be used for harm to man, because they don't think human beings are ready for it. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the Draconian ones would apparently give anything provided they get something in return, and we know that uh, well why would they need to give anything because actually they can take whatever they want right so that's not entirely clear either, but apparently there is some sort of law of trade that you know I give you this and you give me that. It's uh, so old story about signing your soul to the devil. You know, he needs your signature, even though the devil is much more powerful than you, he still needs your consent. So something similar might be going on. But uh, the fact that there is this fight going on in space, in outer space, and also in our uh, environment is uh, hard, I mean, it's hard to deny that, because we have seen so many instances of that. And apparently there are certain governance agencies which collaborate with uh, those who are helping us to uh, destroy the other ones, and it's possible that some other governments or agencies, private or public, are also cooperating, but with the other side. So you know, the the division in space would be mirrored in the division on Earth. About Himesh, of course, he made that statement to publicize his book, and then he fell silent. At 87 he probably had little to lose and he wanted some publicity for his book and I wonder if it will be translated from Hebrew, Um, but he's not the first one, remember some years ago there was a secretary of the Academy of Sciences of Bulgaria who had come out saying that they had had a meeting with extraterrestrials who wanted to bring the world to a new stage of awareness and culture by revealing technologies that could free us. From dependence on fossil fuels and also abolish war, and of course he fell silent very promptly because he was probably told to shut up or uh, something happened. He was not able to carry on, so everything was buried. I think this is because of the power of the media, which are controlled by certain economic uh, agencies, and they are told what to report and what not to report. And probably at some point people are just being told to stay away from this. You know, so I don't know why some people are able to express themselves rather freely and say a lot of things. And others are probably not. But I guess there is some sort of an invisible, there's a glass ceiling where that you cannot go over. And as long as you say certain things under that glass ceiling, you are tolerated more and more, by the way. But uh, above that, you either become part of the top secret fraternity and then you are silent, or else uh, you just uh, probably are, if not eliminated, at least you are sufficiently threatened that you decide uh, to stop.
1: So where do people go to learn more about your work and your projects? And I know you have a conference coming up and people can actually you know, either go there physically in, in India, but you, they can also live stream it. So yeah, you want to tell us about your conference and, and your website?
0: Well, yes, I mean, my website is com, but there is a lot of information on uh, Google and other media and other platforms, which is not necessarily on my website there is a lot of information coming from various sites and things that i have done over the years uh, other than that uh, so com carpentier as I, as I spell my name dot com other than that uh, i have been doing a number of conferences on various subjects and the uh, one that is beginning on that will begin on 22nd of uh, september in uh, bangalore at the National Institute of Mental Health and Neurological Sciences, which is a national institute of national importance co-sponsored by India Foundation and some other government entities. Uh, It will be inaugurated by the minister of Ayush, who is responsible for all the alternative traditional spiritual medicines uh, in India. And it will gather a number of very eminent scientists, as well as philosophers and spiritual teachers uh, from India and the West, quite a few from the United States. And so it's going to be a very interesting uh, uh, debate on uh, studies of consciousness worldwide, how much we have advanced, what we know, what we can understand about artificial intelligence. Is it really intelligence, or is it it a sort of mimicking mechanism? Um, There has always been that division. Can human beings really duplicate the mind, or can they just build machines that are strong enough to uh, imitate the mind without being mental? So this is the debate. There will be many aspects to it, and it will be discussed from the angles of physics, neuroscience, biology, anthropology, uh, philosophy, yoga, um, Vedanta, Ayurveda, uh, all those different perspectives also the Jain and Buddhist angles. Uh, So it will be, I think, a very interesting uh, exchange of views and update for uh, people who are interested, qualified, and active in this field. And it will all be published, of course, in uh, in the volume of proceedings. I hope it will make a, a difference and will make people more aware of the essentially supernatural nature of consciousness, which is present everywhere and which is at the source of everything. Uh, like many neuroscientists have concluded, like people like uh, you know Donald Hoffman, so they are coming closer and closer to the Vedantic and Buddhist perspective, and in the light of their own scientific investigations and even mathematical calculations. So that's a very important thing. We are not going to be probably talking directly about anything directly uh, you know uf- uf- ufological, but uh, Terence Deacon, who will speak online, is participating a few days later to the first. Silicon Valley conference on secret space technology, which is all about technology transfers from extraterrestrials. So he is quite interested in the subject. I don't know if he'll refer to it in his uh, presentation. So we are certainly opening the door, and uh, right now, to keep a very impeccable scientific profile, we did not include by name the ufological or exopolitical perspective. Simply because it would have created the uh, suspicion and rejection in many people, and right now the idea is to keep it very mainstream and uh, completely indisputable. Uh, but obviously, eventually, uh, this will all connect. You know, once you get to a certain level, there are no more barriers between exopolitics and exobiology and exophysics and everything else that we are in the process of discovering.
1: Well, thank you, Colmie, for coming on Exopolitics today and sharing your wisdom and the accumulated knowledge of all of these uh, UFO cases and exopolitical developments for more than 50 years now. Yes, well, I, at the beginning,
0: it was only like most kids, you know, just learning and being very fascinated by it and wanting to ride the flying saucer. But eventually, it became much more, I guess, precise and uh, uh, investigative but it was a pleasure finally meeting you face to face, even long distance. And again, uh, congratulations for the work you are doing. I know you are probably getting a lot of very skeptical reactions, but it takes courage to, you know, go beyond the more conventional areas of uh, ufology and listen to everybody and let everybody give their testimony and uh, let them speak their truth and see if it uh, checks out, you know, that's the only way it is. You have been listening to ExoPolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel. Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books, webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala. Visit ExoPoliticsToday.com